This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. Kids, you are dismissed, right? If not, just go anyway. It'll be funner. A couple of, uh, I don't know, housekeeping announcements. Before we get started, I want to remind you that we are having, uh, starting the Essentials class this afternoon, if you're interested. Uh, The Essentials class is an opportunity for you to figure out what goes on at this church, ask any questions you want. Uh, We break down over the course of four weeks the basic essentials of the faith, and it's a good opportunity for you if you want to uh, get to know our church quickly. Uh, And there will be child care if you have any kids. So you're welcome even so. The next thing, I wanted to let you know a little bit about something we're going to do this year. I'm going to call it Sunday Night Sermons. And what we're going to do is we're going to start off the first Sunday of every other month. So... The first Sunday we'll do this will be February 6th. What I want to do is I want to broaden your perspective of good preaching. And so we're going to do all different kinds of things, but mostly we're going to watch, hear, listen to other preachers and other genres of preaching. I don't mean this as an insult, but you guys need to hear some black preaching. It's good. Um, We're going to do all kinds of things. I'm going to pull some sermons out of olden days and rewrite them so that they mean something to us, like sinners in the hands of an angry God, some stuff from Spurgeon, all kinds of stuff. We'll do six of these throughout this year. Beginning on February 6th, Sunday evening, we'll start with our Sunday night sermons. With that said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as as we just sang, it is you who feeds us, and so we come to your word again for that purpose, that you would feed us your truth, that you would feed us the good news of our Savior, that you would feed us the rightness of what you have called us to. Father, I pray that you would show us not only the the gift that you have given us in our Savior, but the example that he has left us in how we can show him to the rest of our our world. Father, we thank you for that gift, and it is only through the, the blessing and the power of the gift of our Savior that we can even ask of these things. So it is in his name that I pray. Amen. We're going to get back into 1 Peter this morning. We'll be in chapter 5 if you want to start heading there with your Bibles. But since it's been a while, I want to take an extra minute to do a little catch-up. If you'll remember, Peter addressed this letter to the exiles, the elect exiles of the dispersion. Meaning those people who have been exiled from their home, both physically and spiritually. So... After that address, Peter opened his letter by reminding us that our salvation is that glorious hope 
that we hold on to during that exile. A hope we hold on to because it cannot perish or fade and it cannot be defiled. In fact, Peter said that that hope of that salvation is so strong that the various trials that we face throughout this exile serve only to loosen our grip on the things of this world and grow our faith and our hope and our trust in our Lord. And then following that introduction, Peter moved on into the body of his letter by calling us to action. And boy, did he. He called us to holiness in the midst of suffering. He called us to submission in the midst of tyranny. And he called us to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have inside of us even while we're being reviled. The last time we looked at 1 Peter, he he brought the body of his letter to a close with a, a profound summary of everything that he's been saying for four chapters. If you glance backward just one verse to chapter 4, verse 19, you'll see there Peter said, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. That's a powerful statement in itself. He said, Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So that's the the 30,000 foot review of where we are this morning. Now speaking of our passage this morning, every once in a while a New Testament author will take a turn, kind of feels like he gives you some whiplash. That's kind of like our passage this morning. Look again at 419. Peter said, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will... And trust their souls to a faithful creator. And then in 5.1 he says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, he says, says, to shepherd the flock of God. So you know those times when something sounded right in your head. But then when you said it, it didn't come out like you thought it was. Like, you know, you're talking to a teacher and you, you tell them, I don't know, something like, Yeah, I, I, I hated science when I was in school. I couldn't stand it. My teacher was, was an idiot. So you're a science teacher, right? That's not what you were thinking. You meant to say that you used to hate science, but now maybe you've matured and you understand its value, full stop. And I understand that you're a science teacher, but it didn't come out like that, did it? Well, Peter, when you say, let those who suffer according to God's will, and then you say, so I exhort those who shepherd God's flock, Are you saying that shepherding God's flock is God-ordained suffering? I mean, I wouldn't completely disagree with you, but we don't say those things out loud. Is that what you're saying, Peter? Well, the short answer is no, but why? What's Peter's train of thought here? Why is he going from suffering at the end of chapter 14 to elder shepherding the flock at the beginning of chapter 5? Well, if we look closely at the context... I think we can see something interesting. When we look closely at the context, we can see what I think Peter was reading at the time he wrote this letter. I think when we look at the context, we can see that Peter was in the Ezekiel part of his Bible through the year reading plan. I do. Just just listen to what Ezekiel wrote. Beginning in chapter 9, he's talking to the elders, and he said this, beginning in verse 1. 
he said, Then he cried in my ears with a loud voice, saying, Bring near the executioners of the city, each with his destroying weapon in hand. And behold, six men came from the direction of the upper gate with faces north, each with his weapon for slaughter in his hand. And with them was a man clothed in linen with a writing case at his waist. And they went in and stood beside the bronze altar. So this is like a divine hit squad. These are like angels that roll up. And one of them is named Vinny. And they stand next to God. And Vinny's like, hey, boss, you want us to break his knees? And God says, look at verse 3. Now the glory of the Lord of Israel had gone up from the cherub on which it rested to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed in linen who had the writing case at his waist. And the Lord said to him, pass through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. So God says, yes, I do want you to do that. But first, you with the yellow pad, I want you to go through the city and I want you to put a mark on everybody who doesn't like all of the idolatry and paganism that's going on. Put a mark on their head. And then God says to the other angels in verse 5, To the others, he said in my hearing, pass through the city after him and strike. Your eyes shall not spare and you shall not show pity. Kill old men outright, young men and maidens, little children and women, but touch no one on whom is the mark. So you guys follow this guy here and strike down anyone who does not have this mark. Now here's what I want you to see. Look at at where God tells them to start. The end of verse 6. He says, strike them all down. And he says, and begin at my sanctuary. So they begin with the elders who were before the house. Now look back at 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 15. Peter said, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Now look at verse 17. He says, for. That's suffering for, or because. Don't be ashamed of suffering for doing good, and don't suffer for being a criminal for, or because, judgment is coming, and that judgment is going to begin in the household of God. In other words, our God is not like some angry Karen that's yelling at everyone else's kids, but gives his a pass because he thinks they're little cutie patooties. Never thought you'd hear me say that, did you? Okay. I promise. Let me tie all this together and, 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 and we'll get to our passage this morning. Peter is saying, I just finished explaining to you how God wants you to behave during your exile here on earth. How he wants his people to display Christ to the world by responding to suffering the same way that he did. And to emphasize that, Peter says, and listen, this isn't a suggestion. God is going to come, and just like I've been reading it in Ezekiel, his judgment is going to start in his house. He's going to start with his people like he always has. Therefore, Peter says in chapter 5, verse 1, so I exhort the elders among you. 
So the question that Peter is answering in our passage this morning, the question that I want us to answer this morning is this. What does God want to find when he comes to his house? What does God want to find when he comes to his house? The first thing that I can tell you that Peter says God wants to find here, beginning in verse 1, is God wants to find eager elders. He says in verse 1, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Now, Peter isn't just pulling this out of thin air. He's speaking from experience. If you'll remember, right before Jesus died, Peter denied him three times, said, I don't know that guy. But then after Jesus rose from the dead, he, he, took, Peter's, he took Peter aside and, and, and he restored him. He asked Peter three times, do you love me? And three times Peter responded and he said, you know I do, Lord. And every time after Peter responded, Jesus followed up by saying, then feed my sheep. Then tend my sheep. In other words, Peter is just passing down the same instructions he received from Jesus. The first thing that God wants to find in his house is he wants to find elders who are doing their job. And that job, Peter says, is to shepherd and to oversee his, God's sheep. Now that, that word shepherding, it, it means tending or feeding or caring. What you would think of in, in terms of a shepherd, it, it means nurturing. And, and if you've ever worked with livestock, you know how important that job is. A shepherd can't just let the animals eat anything they want. He has to guide them and lead them to, to food that won't kill them because sheep will eat anything, including stuff that will kill them. In other words, God wants to find elders in his house feeding his sheep, not only with the word of God, but with the rightly divided word of God. And the sad news about our culture today is that there are millions of of sick and dying sheep out there because their shepherds are feeding them Pop-Tarts and brownies. The sheep love the taste, but it's killing them. However, not only does God want to find elders shepherding his flock, he says he also wants to find them overseeing it. Now that, that word in the Greek is episkopos. It, it literally means inspecting, examining. Again, if you've ever worked with livestock, you know you have to constantly lift up the hood, as it were, and see what's going on. If you've ever worked with livestock, you know that they also generally don't like that. But God wants to find His elders not only feeding His sheep, but also protecting and guarding them, both from themselves and from their enemies. When I do this, Shannon calls it sheep inspection. Many of you know what she's talking about. If you've ever been to a, a livestock show, it's that time when the animal gives you that look like, please don't look me in the eyes while they're doing this to me. It's that time when I'm rooting around in your ears and flipping you over on your back and lifting up your legs and all sorts of other things that make you uncomfortable. It's those times when you think I'm being intrusive. When, when in reality, all I'm trying to do is see if there's a tick on your belly I need to dig out. In other words, God wants to find His shepherds doing both their jobs. 
feeding and exercising oversight. Now, imagine that you're in a job interview for, for a new job. And as you expect, the person interviewing you slides a, a job description across the desk and it's got all the usual stuff in there, your scope of work, the pay, the, the time, the structure, the direct reports and goals and that sort of thing. But at the end of this job description, you see a section that you were not expecting. This job description has a section on it about how you're required to feel about this job. You see, in addition to your duties, this job description says that you are required to want to go to work. And this job description says that you're required to not care about the pay. In fact, it forbids you from leaving this job to get another one for better pay. And also, it says you can't just demand people perform. You are required to set them an example. Listen, here's where the Bible always goes further than just good advice. Because nothing with God is just about behavior. It's always about the heart. And so Peter goes further than just a job description. He gives a heart description for the elders. Peter says in the second half of verse 2 and 3 that not only does God want to find elders doing both their jobs, He wants to find elders eagerly doing both their jobs. Peter says God wants to find elders who are shepherding. He says there at the, at the second half of verse 2, not under compulsion, but willingly. Listen, in other words, Peter is saying an elder is required to want to go to work. That's crazy, right? Actually, no, it's not. That's the cool thing. Most of the time, I love my job. Most of the time, Shannon has to tell me to quit working, to take a break, to get some rest. It's one of the greatest things that God has given me as a pastor, and I know other elders, is, is this desire, this divine gift of wanting to do the work. It, just as an aside, I say that in the context of elders, but I believe that this is the case for, for any gift. I think this translates to any spiritual gift. Uh, uh, God gives you a, a, a desire to do the work, and when I say work, I mean work, labor. I believe God gives you a divine ability to do what would wear others out. For, for an example, I, I believe that God has given me a supernatural desire and stamina to study and preach and counsel and do all those things as part of my job and enjoy doing them that would exhaust other people. On the other side of the coin, if you put me in that nursery back there for more than a couple weeks, I will be the one in the swing sucking my thumb at the end of service. God wants, to, wants His elders to, to, to work not under compulsion, but willingly. And then he says in the end of verse 2, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. I had a friend about 20 years ago who was going off to seminary. And he was telling me about what he was looking forward to in this new adventure. And one of the things that he said that still haunts me to this day was he said that one of the things that he was looking forward to most about this new job as a pastor 
was only having to work five hours a day and having all of his lunches paid for. Unlike my friend, Peter's mind, I would tell you, is still in Ezekiel. You see, right before God told those angels to go into the, to his house and, and strike all of those people, God told Ezekiel to look through this little hole in the wall into the temple. And like only an Old Testament prophet can do, Ezekiel described this grotesque scene of the, of the shepherds feeding on the sheep instead of feeding the sheep. When God comes to his house, he wants to find elders willingly feeding the sheep, not greedily feeding on the sheep. And finally, the, the last heart description that Peter says God wants to find in his elders when he comes to his house in verse 3, he says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. In other words, when God comes to his house, he wants to find elders that are saying, do as I do, as much as they are saying, do as I say. And if you look closely back at verse 1, Peter is actually giving us an example of this. Rather than saying, I command you as an apostle, as an apostle ordained by the very words of Jesus Christ, obey my command. He doesn't say that. He says, I exhort or I urge or, or I appeal, depending on your translation, he, translation. He says, to the elders as what? He says, as a fellow elder. In other words, Peter is saying, I appeal to the elders to follow my example. But not only that, he goes on to say that I appeal to elders as a fellow elder. He, he, he says, I also appeal to elders as a fellow under-shepherd of the good shepherd. Have you picked up on this through all of these heart issues yet? Let me explain what I mean. Peter says God wants to find elders shepherding, not under compulsion, but willingly. And Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 tells us that we're to look to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Jesus, for the joy set before him endured the cross, not, not begrudgingly. And Peter says God wants to find elders shepherding not for greed, but eagerly. And 2 Corinthians 8, chapter 9 tells us, he says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Peter's telling the elders to just act like Jesus. And Peter said God wants to find elders not domineering, but setting an example. And if you remember the scene in John chapter 3, John describes in his gospel this, this time where Jesus took off his tunic and washed the disciples' feet. And immediately following that, when Jesus was finished, he said to them in John chapter 13, verse 15, he said, See, I have set an example for you, that you also should go and do just as I have done. Peter is simply giving elders instructions to, to display Christ to their flock. It's the first kind of people God wants to find when he comes to his house. Eager elders. Elders who are eagerly, willingly feeding God's sheep a healthy diet of truth and grace to, to strengthen and encourage them to go out into this life they live as exiles. And God wants to find elders who are eagerly watching over and inspecting and caring for his flock. 
He's saying eager, elders who are, who are not domineering or greeting, nor are they withdrawn or timid. Elders who are gentle, yet they are firm and direct. When God comes to his house, he wants to find elders who are eagerly doing the best they can to display Christ to God's flock. Now, Grant, I'm not an elder, so what does any of this have to do with me? First of all, you need to know what a biblical elder looks like. You need to know if you go to a church whether you are, are going to a biblical church or not. However, I'm not just talking to the elders in this room. There are people in this room who, who will be elders in the future. And God uses times like this, He uses mornings like this to grow and prepare you into your future calling. And so here's the way I would, I would explain why I want you guys to understand both lay and elder, what an elder should be like. And I want you to hear me say this. I want it to be an intimidating task to be an elder at this church. It does not make me uncomfortable at all to say that I want the bar set really high for those who would be called into leadership of this church. And I don't mean a bar of performance or ability. I mean, I want the bar of rightly handling the Word of God to be intimidating in this house. I want the bar of humble authority and eager service to be intimidating in this house. I want the bar of hard labor to be intimidating in this house. We're not pastors that sit behind a desk and do nothing else. I want the bar of, of Christ-likeness to be intimidating in this house. Because when God comes to this house, I want Him to find elders who are eagerly working hard to shepherd His sheep. Not for popularity or attention or fame, but for the approval of their Savior. Look at verse 4. He says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There it is, elders. There's your pay. When God comes to his house, he wants to find elder, eager elders. Peter spent the bulk of this passage on elders, so we have done the same. But when God comes to his house... Peter says that not only does he want to find eager elders, in verse 5, Peter says God also wants to find a compliant congregation. Look at the beginning of verse 5. He says, likewise. That's going all the way back up to verse 1. Peter says, I exhort the elders among you. And now he's saying, likewise, I exhort you who are younger. Meaning, you who are younger in the faith, you who are not spiritually elders, he says, be subject to the elders. Uh-oh. Fire in the hole. Now, Grant, I am an American. How dare you call me compliant? Right? The honest truth is, is I ain't the one saying it. It doesn't get more black and white than this. God says... You who are younger, be subject to the elders. 
in the context of 1 Peter, what God is actually saying is, remember a few chapters ago when, 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 when I said you should be subject to your governors because I'm the one who put them into, into authority over you. God's saying, do you suppose that I, I put sovereignly established political leaders that you should, you should follow, but I don't sovereignly establish leadership in my own house? Of course he doesn't do that. What God is saying through Peter here is be subject to the elders that I have placed over you. Which means this, just like the heart of the elders, when God comes to his house, he wants to find submissive hearts in his congregation as well. Hearts that are are humbly submissive to those who are, are by God's grace and God's command doing their best to watch over your souls and keep you from the enemy. So let me ask you a few questions. Do you see me as someone who has the potential to offer you good advice? You know, when you ask for it, or if you agree with it. Or do you see me as someone whom God has ordained you to submit to? Someone who God has ordained you should submit to as long as it's biblical. Let me ask this another way. When was the last time you approached an elder voluntarily and asked them what they thought you should do about a situation? What they thought about how you should handle something, how they thought you should feel, how they thought you should approach something? if you're doing or thinking or feeling something right about your marriage, about your parenting, about anything. When was the last time you did that? Because you see, that's the difference in the heart of submission. It's one thing to submit to an elder when they chase you down, put a rope around your neck, a rope around your legs, and hold you on the ground. But the heart that God is looking for is is the one willing willing to submit to an elder by even seeking out their advice and laying their their lives in front of them and saying, what does the Bible say? Now, if you haven't figured this out by now, let me break the news to you. I have a lot of weaknesses. If you don't believe me, just ask Shannon. She'll start you off with the table of contents so you don't get overwhelmed by the list. The Bible doesn't say submit to your elders as long as they have no no imperfections or weaknesses. I can tell you this. Many of you know, Shannon has told me more than once on the way home from church, your coach was showing. You know, those times when pulpit starts to lean like that a little bit and I start saying things like we're going to go out in the parking lot and run suicides until somebody shares the gospel. <laughs> Let me ask you a question that some of you, not all of you by any means, but some of you need to answer. Do you use my imperfections and weaknesses as an excuse for you to submit to what you agree with 
and discard or object to what you don't. Because Peter is telling us that when God comes to his house, he wants to find eager elders and compliant congregations. Now here's the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is that every congregant wants a pastor like Peter describes. A caring, eager, shepherding pastor. But guess what every pastor wants? Exactly. Every pastor wants a submissive congregation like Peter describes as well. But you know what? Neither of them are going to get what they want. So what are we supposed to do about it? Do we do the uh, American thing? And keep hopping from church to church until we find the right fit? I think Billy Graham answered that question perfectly. You remember when he said, if you ever find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it? So what are we to do? Look at the end of verse 5. Peter speaks to the elders to be eager. He speaks to the congregation to submit. And then he says, clothe yourselves. Who? All of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Elders, clothe yourselves in humble leadership, and congregants, clothe yourselves in humble submission. Elders, humbly lead. They're striving to follow Christ's example of servant leadership. And congregants, they're humbly following intentionally submitting and listening and obeying their leaders because God has ordained them to be their shepherds. Now, the one thing that I want you to hear me say is that's easy to say. That's easy to look at in this passage. It's easy to say that here on a Sunday. And it's a whole different thing when we're sitting down somewhere talking about marriage or talking about parenting or talking about one of those sticky issues. It's easy to say, elders, humbly lead like Christ, and congregants, humbly submit to your elders. It's easy to say that, but here's the reality. Listen. The reality is that humility creates anxiety. Humility creates anxiety. Whether you humbly subject yourself to the authority of another or you humbly lead, there's always some level of anxiety. You give up control. There's the anxiety of, of wondering if you're leading the right way. Am I being too pushy? Am I not being pushy enough? But there's also the anxiety of wondering if you've submitted to the right person for the right reasons. Anxiety that you're not being taken advantage of. Anxiety that you're being wisely humble instead of foolishly gullible. Not to mention the anxiety of simply not being want to told what to do. Want to be told what to do. Humility and submission, it always generates some level of anxiety. And so that's what Peter's going to talk to us about next week. If we do live like what he's saying in this passage, then how do we deal with that anxiety? Now, husbands, if humility causing anxiety doesn't make any sense to you, I guarantee you your wife could explain that. This week, however, let me leave you with this. If God were to show up right now to this house on this morning, what would he find? What would he find? If his judgment began today at this little house 
in Cedar Crest, New Mexico, what kind of hearts would he find? Elders, would he find us eagerly, intentionally, diligently feeding and watching over his sheep and setting an example of Christ to them, to the best of our ability? And brothers and sisters, would he find you humbly, intentionally, obediently, from your heart, submitting to those he has placed over you, watching over your souls? I say, let's make this a place where he would. And I say that because the heart of the matter is, is do we trust God? Do we trust God to submit to the leaders that he has placed over us? And do we trust God to lead the people in the way that he has instructed us? And so I say, let's make this a place where we trust God. Let's make this a place where when God shows up, he finds humility both in leadership and in, 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 in congregants because the leaders and the congregation trust God together. I say let's make this a house where God will find a people who obey him because they so deeply trust him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that, that in everything that you have said to us this morning, that we would, we would hold it up to the shining example of our Savior. Father, if anyone had the right to be domineering or paid or anything else that you've said, it was our Savior. Father, I thank you and I praise you and I glorify you for the incredible example that you've given us, not only in, in our Savior's action, but, but in his heart. That our Savior came to this world humble, willing to die, and in submission to your will. So, Father, ultimately, I pray that you would drive into our hearts, that you would... would Soften our hearts, both, both elders, leaders, and, and congregation, that you would not show us obligations that we have to do, but show us the heart of our Savior and give us a desire to be like Him, to lead gently and humbly, definitively, and at the same time to Submit to those that you have placed in authority over us. Father, what a gift you have given us in this example and, and, and what even more gift you have given us in his death and resurrection that we could even have the Holy Spirit inside of us to, to grow us in this way. Father, I thank you and praise you for everything that you have done and everything that you've promised to do. I thank you for the way that you have laid out your your house, and the goodness that you've called us to that comes from your, your plan. Father, it is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.